Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 218. Please don't take this away from me. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 17 of Battlestar Galactica, No Exit, and season 4, episode 10 of Angel, Awakening. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Uh, so no exit. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I made the joke last week for um, Awakening that it had nothing to do with the Kate Chopin novel. And um, I realized that I could say the same thing about this. This uh, no exit episode has nothing to do with the uh, John Paul Sartre uh uh, play, I guess it is, not novel, but um, just throwing that out there. Um, although, uh, as you as you mentioned when we were just talking about it, um, there might be some similar themes. We might be able to pick out some stuff, uh, especially from like the Cavill Ellen sure. portion. I, I think um, I think Cavill would agree with the assertion that hell is other people. You know, I feel like and and sure, and or Ellen, hell is people. Hell hell is being a person. Sure, in his case. And Ellen, I think, definitely uh, uh, maybe reenacts the hell of no exit of, like, being trapped in a space with particularly mm-hmm. awful other people. Um, but, like, yeah. yeah, like, you, before we started recording, you were saying, like, okay, but there's not, like, specific literary illusions. And that's probably true. Like, it's not, like... Um, uh, sometimes a great notion where they're drawing specific parallels to like the stories of the foxes and all that kind of thing. There aren't those kinds of little, you know, in jokes and references and everything. Um, yeah, illusions. Yeah. But you know, as we were saying, we uh, are pretty good at finding parallels in almost anything. Yeah. So it's like I mean, doesn't say a the- lot to say that there might be parallels between this. And- what what is you know the seven or whatever years that we have each of studying literature that, you know, doesn't give us the power to find connections between stuff. Right. Um, yeah. Or the four years of this podcast. Um, (laughs) Oh yeah, that too. Um, no gosh. I did. I, I, I meant formal education, but anyway. Sure. Right. This is our, field exercise i guess um i did have one quick production note just to point out um that the the writer of the episode um this is his only episode um which is kind of interesting to me to have like somebody in this late in the game like maybe even taking on such an important expository episode um like not that not that huge things happen, but that like a lot of important information is conveyed. It's certainly pivotal in that way. Um, and it was somebody who is one of these guys who looks like he was a story editor and script coordinator for many years on the show. But this is his only gotcha. this is his only credited episode and his first credited episode as a writer, um, like as a as a script writer. Um, so for what that's worth, um, Ryan. Mott's heard? Mott has heard? Something like that. Sure. Um, yeah, this is, was his first episode, and then he went on to Caprica, and then uh, Falling Skies, and now is on hmm. the show Beyond. 
um, as a as a executive story editor. So um, and and writer. Um, so yeah, just again, you know, don't have to put too much analysis into that. But um, as we get into the last half of the last season, it's kind of interesting to have a, a newbie sort of pop up like that. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. I guess I, I'm not real clear, like, what the story editor does. I mean, like, I know what an editor is, and I know what a story is. Mm -hmm. But I don't know when you put those together, like, like, what is that, like, how much input is that into the actual, like, final version is it like literally just going through is it like line editing making sure things are spelled right and you know right whatever is it or does it have or like like story editor implies to me that no there might be actually more of like continuity type responsibilities there than just sure like, and and i my my guess and my understanding is that he would have been somebody in the writer's room so i think maybe it's not such a leap to say that he could write a script in the final season if you've been involved in the writing process. Maybe you don't have any screenplays credited to your name, but you're you're familiar with the characters and the world and the backstory and all that kind of thing. Um, right. It might just be a matter of actually being the one to go to, you know, put pen to paper, so to speak, and turn that into a script. Um, mm -hmm. But... Yeah. Yeah, and I I'm just thinking of like um so like uh Angel's uh episode last week uh was written by Mary Smith who who's written a number of things but like she also has like many more credits uh, as like a story editor mm. and stuff. Um and like producer and co-producer on a bunch of different shows like since then even though actual writing credits. Mm -hmm. Like she ha she'll have like one or two writing credits per season, but then like like shows that she went on to do um, include um, Rome, the HBO series, and Burn Notice, um, which is a show I really enjoyed. Um, but uh, like she has like all these like different producing and like story editor credits on like those shows too, even though like actual writer credits are are fewer. So mm -hmm. yeah, I guess I don't like. And and that's the other thing, like, because we know, like, producer is kind of like, like, we talked before about how, like, on a TV show, that means, like, one thing, you know, like, if you're an executive producer, it's one thing, and if you're a producer, it's another thing, and, mm -hmm. like, usually the writers are, like, this type of producer, mm -hmm. and, like, whatever, like, what does that, like, what do those independent titles mean, if anything, mm -hmm. like, is it, how like how how much like additional work are they doing for this particular title versus just having written the story right or not um and it seems like if you are a story editor like that's a thing that happens independently because there are episodes like again with Mara Smith who she's both she is both listed as the writer and the story editor but mm -hmm. then there's episodes where she's one or the other as right. well and it's like then that implies to me that those are very different things. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't know. Just just kind of throwing that out there. Like, yeah, like 
so cool if this person uh ryan uh Motsard, uh or whatever <laughs> uh is has been a story editor then then like yeah you would expect that like he's definitely familiar with not just the storyline, but like the writing of it and stuff mm-hmm. as well already to some degree anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, um, we said we weren't going to talk for 20 minutes about the first item. So let's leave it at <laughs> um, the other. So I guess the other thing is kind of not really a production note, but kind of a different way of doing the opening. Mm. Um I wanted to start out there because it, I mean, it's just a different focus. Like it's something that, that gives you like a sense of like, Oh, this, this is the one thing that is not like the others, right? Like this is an episode that's going to be a little different. Um, And it is, I mean, for a number of reasons that we can go through, but uh, I mean, I don't know that we, we don't need to like go line by line or anything, you know, through the different opening, but um just kind of to point out that like there is a different feel to it as far as like it it gives you this background on like the Cylons and stuff that Mm. we don't we never got in sort of that way before and kind of so if you if you consider like the normal BSG opening as like like this sort of fairy tale invocation of you know once upon a time or you know in a galaxy far far away or something like that like Mm -hmm. a long time ago in a galaxy like like those types of invocational openings like that's kind of what the opening title sequence is for tv shows i think in a way Mm -hmm. like it has the same kind of effect but then this is like okay like this is a different thing so it, I mean, it is an invocational opening, but it's it's different. It's leading you into, like, a different fairy tale or a different, you know, mm-hmm. story. So, um... Right, and it's a, what, it's a, uh, one that's specific to the world of all this has happened before and all this will happen again. Like, we know that mm-hmm. as the BSG world's version of Once Upon a Time, in a way, like... That's sure. their kind of like mythic, you know, once upon a time, but we're also talking about now because there are these cycles right. that repeat. But like I had thought of it that, that way that by going then into things, the history of the Silent Wars in a way, it's kind of like if the normal BSG opening tells the history of this conflict from the human perspective, it kind of slightly shifts over to the Silent perspective a little bit. Like... Let's reconsider mm-hmm. the history of this conflict from the other point of view. And that's like mostly what we get in this episode is the history of the Cylons um, yep. from different from different points of view, but all from the Cylon point of well, view. And I, I would say not even the history, but even like, like you kind of said, like the, the present, um, particularly with Tyrrell mm-hmm. and Adama. Um, their segment uh, there's there's like a scene with Rosalind and Lee that's like just keeping things going for the humans but like right um, right really like everything Tyrell, else is about silence yeah even the Tyrrell Adama stuff is like a, 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 a I mean it affects the humans of course but it's like the Cylon 
influence and story Mm -hmm. continuing right like Mm -hmm. in a new way so yeah um and then the other thing too i think it does is i feel like the mutiny is like the last kind of big subplot and in a way this to me is like okay let's take a breath and recontextualize and get our our necessary exposition sort of the last remaining bits of it out there before we really push into like the end game and i feel like that's kind of what the opening does is give you the sense of like all right we're just gonna recap what we know and now we're getting into like mm-hmm. everything from now to the end is focused on you know like we have no more distractions we're into like the final yeah. push of the story and everything yeah. Because what do we have? What we have like five episodes left, right? Like, I mean, yeah, right. Like, there's not that many. We're yeah, we're not. And all right, granted, some of them are extended. Um, sure. But like, <laughs> um, they weren't when they aired <laughs> necessarily, or right. You know, it's just kind of um, yeah. No, we're in that last. Right. Right. Stretch. There's one, two, three, three more episodes, and then a a, a, a multi-part finale, but. Three mm-hmm. more standalone episodes before the the actual finale. So we're like very much at the yeah. getting towards and, the end. I mean, it's it's always hard, like from a suspension of disbelief perspective, or or you know a a fairy and drama perspective to like not be aware of that when you're watching this type of stuff. I mean, especially at the time because like. Even live, it's like right. You would have known for this show. You yeah. know that like right. this is the last season. Like they're marketing it that way. Like yeah. you can't not know that this is the last se- season and that things are going to be wrapped up in some way, mm-hmm. even if you don't know the details about how. Um, it's hard to look at it like okay, like you know, completely objectively, and not be like okay here. Here we go. Like now we're going to get all the things that mm-hmm. we haven't gotten yet. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, we'll do our best, though, and we can talk about the story um, mm-hmm. from that perspective. Um, and in doing so, I want to start out with not the Cylon perspective. <laughs> um just kind of to take care of it, because we should address the couple things. Get the humans I do think, out of the way. Who cares I, about them? Yeah, I think Rosalind and Lee, we need to get out of the way. But, like, I do think they're doing a very similar thing in that sort of setup, mm-hmm. like you just talked about. Um, but it's for the humans. It's, like, the one brief scene that has absolutely nothing to do with, like, the rest of the Cylon stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And it is sort of wrapping up the mutiny thing. Um so yeah, so I mean they're in the quorum's chamber, right? Um I guess that's that's on Colonial One, right? Like um Yeah. Where they where the quorum meets. Mm-hmm. And so um you get Rosalind like, you know, expressing regret about like I hated I hated these people, but I didn't want to see them die. Like, mm-hmm. you know, okay, like sure, I get that. Mm-hmm. Um like hated in like maybe a professional sense of like Yeah you know, they were always opposed to me or whatever, but like not necessarily hated as people or right. whatever. Right. Um and so but hey 
we were going to reorganize our department anyway. So, like, <laughs> now that we have this opportunity, <laughs> yeah. he's like, why don't we do this other thing instead? Um, which makes sense. Instead of, like, they, you know, there was the whole voting um, process that we got to solve back, see back when, um, was it when Baltar was voted in as mm -hmm. vice president mm -hmm. or whatever? Um, and, like, we saw, like, you know, Lee getting chosen eventually as, like, the replacement delegate for, excuse me, for Caprica. And um, so, like, we know a little bit about this stuff. But, like, yeah, like, does it make sense anymore to even be talking about, uh, you know, delegations from a planetary perspective mm -hmm. like we had before? from you know, one one delegate per colony or whatever. Um, and, like, now we've got... So this is, like... I mean, there's a couple things going on here. Like, if you're talking, like, representative democracy, which, you know, again, we can't, like, draw too many conclusions, but this is, like, going from, you know, the 13 colonies to the... Or, well, the 12 colonies, I guess, to the... Uh, you know, all the different ships, it's like, just from a ratio perspective, like, this is giving people a lot better representation, right? Like, mm. I don't know how many ships they still have in the fleet, but there's more than 12. Like, mm. so just from like, a, you know, if, if there was one delegate, you know, well, I don't, I don't, I mean, they always had like one delegate from like, this is like, senators, from states in the u.s right? right like every state has two senators no matter what their population is mm -hmm. um the house of representatives has a you know population-based right uh mm -hmm. number that you know could change or whatever but um from a senatorial perspective like every 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 state gets two people and there's the same kind of deal like every planet had one person so like when you think about it like it was a really bad representational mm -hmm. <laughs> scale when you have one person representing an entire planet yeah when the planets blow up and get taken over or whatever i mean they don't literally blow up but like everybody dies and then like suddenly like okay like yeah sucks that everyone died but like now i have more like better chance at having someone who actually represents my views because there's you know from a ratio there's a uh much better ratio of representation there. And it's like, now that's even, even a, you know, closer thing. Like if yeah. they're going to have, say there's 50 ships instead of, you know, 12. And like, now you're going to have a much better, you know, and you still have some ships are going to have more people on them than others. And so it's not going to be wholly even, but it's going to be a lot better than that. Mm -hmm. And, and so just brings it even closer to a more, truly representational mm -hmm. democracy you know without being a direct democracy for every issue um, right. you know it's still representational but um maybe maybe bringing people closer to their current living conditions and that kind of thing right right um, and that and that kind of more than anything else i think signifies the way that they're moving on from the original sort of apocalypse and the fact mm -hmm. maybe that we're getting close to the end of the story is that they are finally sufficiently removed from the grief to consider doing it another way. 
that we don't have to be slaves to a system that's no longer immediately relevant to what's best for the people that are living and that we actually have. And like, I feel like this is always Lee who it's like, in some ways that is kind of one of the points that Zarek made early on, but Lee's always like the voice of the kernel of truth that was buried in the corruption. Like mm. he can find the, the, the part of that that's true about a new day requires new thinking and we shouldn't be slaves to a system that is no longer relevant for our situation. Um, and I think Lee was always willing to listen to the points that Derek made that actually made sense. Um, but, you know, his darkness, you know, ended up being his destruction. But now that they're kind of, he's gone and he's like, they're, they've gotten rid of that problem from within their government. Um, the, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater in a way. Like there was, there's some like truth there of like, okay, we no longer, you know, we can take, it's hard to see the, the slaughter of the quorum as a silver lining, but like <laughs> if, if our democracy was completely destroyed from within itself, if we're going to rebuild, who says we have to rebuild it exactly the way it always was, you know, especially when it ended in such violence, you know, um, yeah. what, how, what can we, how can we take this as an opportunity to make it better? Um, which actually, now that I think about it is kind of what Dee said too, about, you know, if we should take it apart and put it back together again, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the system's broken and it deserves to be rebuilt from within. And and Rosalind's point to to Lee about being smarter and wronger and everything. Um, <laughs> always sure. that tension between the idealism and the and the realism of how do you go about these things and approach these things and what's the proper balance between the two. Well, it, yeah, and it's that idea of the perfect is the enemy of the good, right? right. Like, like you can you can still have things that are like pretty good and workable that aren't perfect. And like, in a way, if, I mean, perfection is not really obtainable, you know? So like, if you're always trying to reach perfection, then like, are you ever actually getting anywhere? Cause you can't actually be perfect. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Uh, the one other thing just to mention real quick too is is Rosalind's stepping back. Mm -hmm. Um she did come forward and like we saw before like where she had basically abstained her position. I mean all you know all but actually resigning. Um now it seems like like she swung each way on the pendulum, right? Of being super involved and then like completely withdrawn. And, like, now it seems like, okay, she's maybe not going to completely withdraw again, but she's also not going to, like, have that hands-on. She's going to start giving over stuff mm -hmm. to Lee. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like she says, it's time I let somebody else do the heavy lifting. Um, 
Right, so. right. Which, like, it could seem, like, dangerous to be like, oh, what you backing off was what got us into this mess in the first place. But, like, I, I think it is different that, like, I think the problem before was that the schizophrenia of those two poles of, on the one hand, being a completely absent leader, while also being completely unwilling to actually give power to anybody else to let them do anything or, mm -hmm. you know, like she wanted to retain all the control, but didn't actually want to be there at least right. in that last, not throughout the, the show, but like since, you know, finding earth, like in that immediate crisis period, that yeah. was, it was like the, the, the tension between those two, that was the problem. Whereas this is more like, a healthy balance between the two of recognizing that she cannot do everything herself and that she needs to trust and allow other people to step in and make decisions and help her with that, but also not completely just giving up and abdicating either still re recognizing that she has a responsibility to, you know, keep her title and be involved. So it feels like yeah. rather than a refusal to give up either end of the thing she wants, it feels like a more healthy synthesis of the two in a way. Mm -hmm. um, okay. I said we weren't going to talk for 20 minutes about Krausen and Lee, and we've, we've come dangerously close to talking. We talked we for 20 minutes about the opening and then Rosin and Lee, but yeah. Now we'll move on to silence. Um, yeah, we'll ease into it though, because we'll talk about Tyrrell and Adama. Mm -hmm. Um, so Tyrrell is a Cylon, so mm -hmm. we are talking about Cylon. Um, but yeah, no, um, I mean, you know, the, I think you liked Tyrrell, you know, yeah. even, even though he's done maybe some bizarre he, he and unlikable things. He went through a little rough patch, but he's starting to work his way out of that, I think. Yeah. Um. And like, you know, gets a sort of a formal, you know, offer or, or re-offering of his old job back. You know, mm -hmm. I need a chief and all I have is a Galen. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, you get the restoration of his title and position um, and his his sort of hesitance you know well i'm i'm still a cylon <laughs> it's like and i was like so is my xo like like this is that's not the thing i mean it wasn't that long ago that adama was like no cylons will be on my ship mm. so like it's a valid point on gerald's part to point mm -hmm. out i'm still a cylon like mm -hmm. nothing's changed there um but like this is adama like realizing maybe a little late, you know, the thing that everyone else already realizes. And, like, that you even had, like, uh, uh, Gaeta, you know, and, and, well, not even Gaeta, like, like, Narcho last week of, like, I'm not going to take orders from a Cylon. Mm -hmm. Like, this is still a problem, like, in the fleet. It's mm -hmm. not like everything has been resolved just because the mutiny is technically over and you know, we shot the leaders. Um, right. right. His point about, like, he might trust the Cylons, the, the ones that he knows, Tyrrell right. and Ty implicitly, but 
Right. His point about I want an all human crew is more about it's not about what he trusts. It's about trying to prevent future mutinies, you know, like, or or at least maybe not trying to prevent them, but at least I don't know about that. I don't know. I see that as like an increased sensitivity towards like not too like the the, the gradual approach rather than the kind of, well, let's shove FTLs down everybody's I mean, kind of thing. It, is is this like a, I can't be racist because I have a black friend kind of thing. Like, <laughs> you know, because like, I mean, because there's Athena too. Like he trusts Athena. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that has trusted her longer knowing, uh, known longer that she's been a Cylon anyway. Like. So is it a, a conscious decision on his part or is it a, a still an unconscious prejudice then that he wants an all human crew that's that's what i i don't think it's clear mm. is what i would say i mean mm. uh, which is i mean hey we talked about how we're english lit majors right we can we can pull that like well it's complicated like right, <laughs> right. i don't i don't know that the text tells us one right. way or the right. other um yeah. If 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 I were forced to give an answer, I kind of I kind of would lean towards the prejudice side mm, of things. I think um, that's fine because I, I would go the other way. I see that as a direct influence of the mutiny in the sense of I, and I'm not saying this is the correct from an ethical like you know employment standpoint, but like I see it as his reluctance to. Um, go too far, too fast into the stuff that caused the mutiny to begin with. Of well, like so even if his perspective is changing, okay, no more, no more Cylon work crews. We're gonna keep the hands that are doing the work human, and you know. Anyway, I see it as a more like deliberate decision on his part. Well, I th- I'm not. I don't disagree that it's deliberate. I just <laughs> think the deliberate, I don't know. I I do think that the text is vague enough that you can make the argument either way. So I'll say mm-hmm. that. I think for me, Adama has always been more about personal loyalty. Yeah. And loyalty to the colonies and, and specifically the military than, you know, whatever. Um, I do think that, like, that implies a preference for humans because mm-hmm. humans are the ones who made up the colonies and the military and all of mm-hmm. that. Um, granted, now we know that there were Cylons in there all along, but he's gotten to know these specific mm-hmm. Cylons and to trust them. And, like, just went through a mutiny where Tyrrell helped him escape, got mm-hmm. him to, you know, well, or at least helped like Roslyn and them escape, like got them to the airlock that he had fixed up on his own, like fought his way through the ship to get to the FTL so they couldn't leave. Like, like these are like above and beyond types of things for anyone to do to mm-hmm. like sort of prove his loyalty. Not that he did it to prove his loyalty necessarily, mm-hmm. but by doing that, proved right. his loyalty. Right. Um, so in that respect, I see 
I see his giving Tyrrell the job back and stuff, uh, you know, totally a personal thing. But I do kind of feel like the refusal to let Cylons in general work on the crew is still at least partly, I mean, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. It can mm -hmm. be both. It can be, if I let Cylons work on the crew, there's going to be another uproar. Mm -hmm. And also, I really don't want Cylons working on the crew because I don't like Cylons and have a prejudice against them. Sure. Not that right. he would ever state it in that way. Right. But like it, it doesn't have, they don't have to be mutually exclusive either. Mm -hmm. um, but I, again, like I would lean more towards the latter. Just, it seems to me like there's some prejudice still. And, and the reason for that is the next piece, which is at least initially his refusal to uh, allow the organic mm. compound. That I definitely, I definitely agree with that. Like, I, I think, all right, to backtrack, I think what throws me the other way is the fact that it's a rever a slight reversal of how he had been in the previous episodes of allowing Cylon crews to do, you know, crew maintenance sensitive work on these ships. And that this is seeming on to be- On other a, ships. On, not sure. the Galactica. Okay, so- um but I definitely, I'm definitely with you on that. Like, there's a, a a sense of wrongness about letting this biological material be the 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 fix it for for Galactica. Um, yeah. That touches something visceral that doesn't, you know, like it's definitely more than than. Um, you know, a deliberate decision to kind of avoid conflict. It it goes to something more, you know, primal than that. Um, it's well, icky, and, you know. <laughs> and, and there's the metaphorical aspect of learning that the people who built his Battlestar cut corners and mm. maybe didn't do things. Maybe it's not the sort of Cadillac of battleships that, he mm -hmm. always thought it was right. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's problems and not just, not just like it's been through a lot. I mean, it has been through a lot and it's put up with a lot, but like theoretically should be able to do a lot more if maybe, mm -hmm. you know, they hadn't used the cheap bolts or something like that. Like, right. Um, right. That well, seems the, to be the implication yeah. anyway. Sure. Well, and there's also the, the, another metaphorical layer of um, the necessity. I mean, even more so they kind of hinted at this with the like, okay, we need to upgrade to Cylon jump drive technology, but this even more so is like the melding of the two together that like, we need this to survive like, and not just be, we need to borrow your FTL drives, but like our two peoples have to merge and become one. And that becomes sure. very, more real when it's about you know his battle star like you said it's not just about forcing technology on other ships that don't matter as much um right. and you can kind of get angry at those people for resisting right. this very important technology but then when it's it's a different thing when it's your battle star that you care about and it, you're talking about you know fixing its wounds with like you know, Cylon self-growing biological goo or something, you know? 
Yeah. Um, the other thing I too, imagine it I, like a goo. I don't know why, but yeah, um, I'm sure it's well. I mean, we've seen the inside of like Cylon ships, right? Like the biological part of right, ships, and right. um, you know, right. seen like Starbuck climbing into the well, the gooey, the right. the thick gooey center of a Cylon ship. Um, so right. so it's it's easier easier said than done and easier to um try to force onto the rest of the fleet and i feel like this brings it home to him in a more personal way of yeah do you want to survive this is what it is it's about these people these two peoples not just tolerating each other but actually merging and becoming one and becoming inseparable from each other Um, that's the only way they're gonna survive to get to a habitable planet and and then the other thing real quick before we move on is um way back to the very beginning of not allowing the, the whole reason the Battlestar galactica is around is because he never let it be networked right if all of the the implication with all of these stress fractures and whatnot is that uh what what does tarot say like it's in the bones right Mm. and like right it's in her bones which sounds like a cancer which is a great roslyn connection too not just not just like it's in the wall of you know the engine room where the FTL drive is. Mm. It's like everywhere throughout the ship. And if you suddenly have a biological patchwork of Cylon technology all throughout the ship, it becomes networked in a way that like it never has been before. Not, you know, the same type of network necessarily, but like you think way back to when like, Gata was trying to like set up the firewalls to prevent the Cylon virus Mm -hmm. from like infecting the temporary network they set up and whatever. Right. Like now they're like purposefully going to like interconnect the entire ship down to its very core with this Cylon technology that will be now growing throughout it, which is like literally infecting it, which was what would have killed them before so it's not even like it's unprecedented to be afraid of this type of thing happening (laughs) like right like that's what they've been afraid of literally since the very start of the series right right Right. but uh, it was always complicated though because it's the thing that allowed them to survive the 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 genocide but also like gata used to know he used to know that there was a time and a place for it that like he convinced ty to do it briefly in order to, you know, let them find the fleet again. And then, you know, just for that brief moment, they, it, it was necessary for survival. Um, and I feel like this is another, like a larger version of that, of yes, the networking is dangerous, but there are times and places when that's a necessary risk for survival, that if you're going to continue, you have to, you know, let in this this what seems like the enemy into your camp and you know like if if he trusts 
Tyrrell and Ty because of who they are and the loyalty they've proved, at what point does that extend beyond their personal attributes to consider that Cylons are, as a people, are capable of earning that kind of trust? Um, sure. And that maybe they're the thing that's going to keep your fleet moving. Yeah. Um, well, and and ultimately, Adama tells him to do what needs to be done, which mm -hmm. presumably includes this biological solution, right? So, right. like, I think he gets there, but from the initial reactions, I, I don't know. I, I guess I do still lean towards that. Mm -hmm. prejudicial uh at least in the knee jerk mm -hmm. you know maybe he gets around to it like you know his higher ego like gets around or super ego or whatever like gets around to like figuring out like this is what needs to do to to do but like the the id part is right very right. much it's still resistant to that uh, yeah yeah anti any cylon technology stuff right um Okay, so that said, let's move on to like, so we, okay, so Sam mm. um, got shot in the head, has a bullet, very sad. Um, it's terrible. Yeah, uh, bullet lodged in his brain, and of course it's screwing with his memory, and he's suddenly like remembering all this stuff that uh, he couldn't remember, you know, like that none of them remembered before. Mm -hmm. Um, start sounding almost like hybridish. Mm -hmm. Um, right, word salad, right? Yeah. Uh, and um, you know, but obviously, like this is also very medically uh, uh, disturbing because it, you know, is causing a hematoma, and there's like potential for him to bleed out and, and like the bullets lodged in this area of his brain that has uh like all these blood vessels that could like burst if they cut it wrong or whatever mm -hmm. um i don't like how much do you want to go through the specifics of of his like, like info dump yeah because <laughs> like we're 42 minutes in <laughs> And I just, I, like, I don't want to, like, skip anything important. Sure. But, like, so other than how much do we need the, to talk the... about that, like, Tyrrell and Tori were, like, madly in love? Right. Like, so at one point. Is there anything that, in all this exposition, is there anything that is revelatory in terms of character I, is a question? I literally, I literally summed up that whole thing of Sam gets all exposition-y. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Which is a true statement. It is. <laughs> a lot of this episode is very exposition-y, in fact. Sure. Um, which, I mean, hey, if they realized they needed exposition, I guess fair enough that you get it out, all of it out of the way in one episode rather than, like, spread right, right. the wealth be between all the... Right, at least it's episodes. not, like, four episodes of, like, sitting in the officer's mess talking over, like, a right. plate of food. Yes. Um, right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I kind of tend to agree that it's, you know, it's more just filling in 
it doesn't even really change too much of what we know. It's more just like the specific filling in the gaps of, mm-hmm. okay, we knew each other because we all worked in a research facility. We pioneered this technology, which is why we had access to resurrection, which is why we were the only ones that, um, you know, survived the apocalypse and everything. So I don't know that any of that is game changing. It's more just telling us mm-hmm. thing open-ended questions that we had about who these people were. Um, I mean, I, I, I think, yeah. And I think the interesting things to me are, uh, well, there's two like big picture things. I think one is that um, just putting Ellen into a completely different context than we know her. Yeah. As mm-hmm. of like, not the like, military wife who screws around (laughs) like but like as an accomplished and and possibly the most accomplished like right i I don't know what you're like technical researcher you know developer person Mm -hmm. like you know she's the one who figured out and and they like uh is it i guess it's sam says like she's the one who makes the intuitive leap so Mm -hmm. like like also like her like she thinks outside the box whatever like like this is very different than just like the Ellen Ty who like is always drinking and like luring Saul into like doing self destructive things yeah not that she couldn't have also done that like maybe right. she did but right. like right but she was also she's not a brilliant she's scientist. not only yeah. that yeah. like like now she's like yeah she's a brilliant scientist who like had a major breakthrough and like literally is the reason why they're all still alive. Mm-hmm. Um, all, all of them being the final five mm-hmm. um, and every Cylon that used resurrection technology at one point or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so one, I think casting her in that light is like really important for like the other, the rest of the stuff that we need to talk about with her, but mm-hmm. also like, um, Shoot, I forgot what the other thing I was just about to say was. Um, well, I don't know if this is the other thing you were thinking of, but for me, maybe the other big point is the revelation that they created the the, the skin jobs, let's say, the, the humanoid Cylons, that mm. it wasn't the natural evolution of the Centurion research. Like the hybrids were a dead end. Um the, the the humanoid Cylons that we know are the specific creation of the final five. So you get, I mean, it's more interesting when you get into the Ellen Cavill dynamic, so maybe we can talk about it more there, but you get this idea of God, creator, creation, but also parent, child, like all of those, those complicated feelings now get projected onto the relationship of the of the rest of the Cylon models towards the final five. Yeah. Which, um, which I don't think we had any hint of before, as far as I can think of. Um, I think the assumption was always, they were the natural level, right? That they, they, the Cylons right. rebelled, they evolved. That's what it says in the opening titles is that the presumption right. is that they evolved from the centurions and that's not really the case. Right. They're like, somewhere along the line like one centurion 
figured out how to make a slightly better version of a centurion and then like right and it all got from there to like skin chops yeah like step by step like natural evolution does like with you know little little improvements over time kind of thing right um yeah no i think that yeah no uh so i did remember it it wasn't exactly that but along those lines and of course there's this revelation of like another uh, another model that Mm -hmm. has since been decommissioned and uh dave was it daniel daniel Daniel. thank you i knew it was a d couldn't remember uh yeah and so i mean i don't know how important that is other than just like that like yeah like there's this whole other you know model that is no longer around and Mm. so you know what happened there and and you know just kind of gives a little more mystery to to kind of what they're all doing um right and it gives cavill a kind of Cain and Abel, like original sin part of his story, right? Like he's the 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 murderer of his fellow Cylons, you know. So like, it's not quite the same as boxing because it sounds like he destroyed even the possibility of there being new Daniels. But you kind that it sets a precedent for what he does with Deanna. That like he's the one that will wipe out your line if he wants to like he's Mm -hmm. he's the cylon that kills other cylons um and you kind of see that that happened i don't know how early but at some point way back when in his youth as a little cylon skin job living with the final five a a little petulance yeah yeah whatever what is uh what does she call him there uh same confused and petulant little boy. Right, right. Um, right, and I guess from a production point of view, um, I think it's pretty, uh, you know, and not an open secret, but acknowledged and undisputed that we can certainly keep an eye out for more mentions of Daniel and find more interesting things to say about him, but from a purely functional point of view, he's there because there's a problem with the numbers that, like, Number eight, where's number seven, basically, is the question. Yeah. If, if Boomer's number eight, then you have to explain why there's one extra or one, there's a missing model. So this this idea that yeah. there there isn't one that was no longer um, around, which is an interesting choice. They could have chose to expose somebody else as the missing Cylon model and I guess chose not to go that route, you know. Um, and that doesn't mean there isn't interesting things to say about it, but yeah, there's a practical reason why Daniel was sure. introduced. Sure. All right. So in the last 10 or maybe a little few more minutes, um, a little few more, a few more minutes, uh, we'll talk about um, Ellen and, and Cavill because like we've already kind of <laughs> wandered into that anyway. Um yeah, so I mean, like we already knew because we had the visions from Ty, right? And like, we know that at least 
a few people beyond the final, the beyond the penultimate four mm-hmm. are aware because you get Lee messing up, right? right. How do you know it was a woman? Yeah. Um, and, and assuming that, like, he knows not only that it's a woman, but who the woman is, yeah. right? Like, right. Um, so there's at least, like, an inner circle who knows. Um, so, like, at this point, it's not a secret. The secret is, of course, that she survived mm-hmm. um, and was resurrected, which there was nothing to suggest that that would be the case. Mm. Like, other than, you know, like, because I'm thinking back to, like, like at the new Caprica stuff, like, do we, are we even really talking about the final five at that point like not seriously yeah not really like i don't even know if we've heard mention of them is that before that's before deanna sees them right yeah yep because it's after that that they that the whole supernova stuff other i think the only hint is just a general sense that there are more models we just don't know who they are but i don't think they've gained this extra significance yet that they have yeah they haven't it's not like a mythological sort of thing here right um so so yeah so the the secret here being that she survives and is regenerated uh regenerated uh re uh uh, shoot what's the word i'm looking for resurrected resurrected thank you downloaded Uh, yeah uh resurrected and uh, wakes up, you know, in this sort of like private resurrection tub. Mm-hmm. Now, so here's the question. So like purely from a like logistics standpoint, like the resurrection ships, like we see have like, like they have like all these extra bodies, right? Mm-hmm. Like, which they destroy and and yeah uh, whatever when they when they kill like do they have the extra bodies of the final five like lying around like how 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 can they resurrect an ellen right if like they don't have like an ellen body and if you have an ellen body then why do you need to go to like the temple on Cobol or wherever not no it wasn't Cobol what wherever it was that the uh the eye of jupiter mm-hmm. stuff happened right like right like or or is it is this some kind of like 3d printer technology where it's like sp- special for the final five resurrection like on body, demand yeah bodies are made on demand or whatever like <laughs> right print on demand resurrection well bodies. and we we saw it I think the rows of bodies like in the resurrection ship, right? Like don't it, you see them like ejected into space, like when they blow it up. So yeah, right. the implication is they have bodies sort of ready, but I don't know. I kind of take it, and this is like head cannony, but I take it that like they must have at least one, if not a few like Ellen's hanging around, but only John I'm going to use his name because he hates it. Um, <laughs> only John knows about it. That, like, he must have, I like, a, a separate, like, a private 
invite-only corner of the Resurrection Hub that only he's allowed access to. Because um, he kind of acts like, oh, it's forbidden to seek the faces of the final five. But he clearly knows who they are, right? Or right. he knows Ellen. He's expecting her. He knows who she is. So he's pretending that it's this mystical thing when he knows all along. So I kind of take it that he has their backups kind of sequestered off somewhere. Um, so that if they die, they download, but only he knows about it. And he keeps them sort of uh, hidden away from the rest of the Cylons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, that's the only way that kind of makes sense to me. Um, yeah, and I don't, I don't have a better thought. I'm not satisfied by that, but there's, I don't have like any thing that satisfies me. Sure. In this particular regard. So, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. I was just trying to figure out like logistically, like, mm -hmm. what are we supposed to like think about this? Like, if there are extra Cylon, uh, you know, extra bodies for the final five, then like, like there's just lots of other logistics that go into that. Like there must be some sort of like backend programming that like funnels the downloaded memories and whatnot into like the right area of the resurrection ship. And like, I don't mm -hmm. know. Okay. Um, So she wakes up, kind of has the freak out, like, which we've seen before, like, you know, people, the, the Cylons who die, and then, like, we see them resurrected, like, mm -hmm. they're kind of, like, freaking out and what's going on and whatever. Um, and then she, like, sort of gets control of herself. And from that point, like, seems to know exactly what's yeah. going on. Right. Like, Like, there's no question of, like... The others who, the the other, the penultimate four, like, when they realize they're Cylon, there's, like, there's, like, a whole, like, what? I'm a Cylon? No, this can't be, like, yeah. what's going on? And, like, there's different adjustment periods for each of them. Um, some of them are still maybe kind of adjusting. But yeah. um, for her, it's, like, like, the freakout is more, like, with the death and, like, waking up in the tub. Mm. And then, like... Once she kind of, like, gets control of, like, the immediate, like, you know, lizard brain response is able to, like, she just, like, slicks her hair back and, like, mm -hmm. you know, is charming to the centurion standing there. And, like, the, like there's no, like, fear or, like, right. denial or frustration about, like, where she is and what happened to her. She, like, right. seems to know right away what's going on. Right. And I guess I take that as like, there's something about, like, you know, the others, they hear music, some switch goes off in their head, like Tyrrell says, but they don't get all those memories back right away. It's this gradual and still ongoing process of recovery of their memories and who they are. Whereas I feel like for Ellen, there must be something about the dying and downloading that just mm -hmm. jumps over the whole that whole process and she just immediately must remember exactly like almost like when you you know 
you go to sleep and you wake up and somehow you're awake and you don't really have any, you just sort of jump forward in time. Um, that seems to me like how that works. There's no gradual realization of her true nature. It's just like she suddenly woke up and is like, oh yeah, like that was a weird dream I had. Of course I know who I am and I've known, oh. you know, all along and, and there's no explanation necessary. Yeah. Uh, Ellen is woke now. She's woke. Um, Awakening? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of. Um, well, and the only, the other thing though with um, her like, you know, visceral screaming and crying reaction too is it, it kind of makes me think like, apart from Boomer who was conflicted and had, you know, inklings that she was asylum, but didn't, you know, like necessarily know and had this whole process of being a sleeper agent and everything. I feel like Ellen's the only one we've seen who probably had no idea and died and woke up in a resurrection tub. So I wonder how much of it is, it's the one instance of her human self just completely out of the blue realizing what she is before like the Cylon kind of mind takes over. Um, yeah, it could be like, I, like, I mean, it, we just see her freaking out in the tub. So we don't really know like why. Right. I, I took that because we've seen Cylons before, like reacting with that, like surprise, like mm -hmm. what's going on, like whatever, or like, it's almost like, like the brain is still like continuing with whatever killed them. So like, sure. It's more like the aftershock of dying rather than necessarily the realization of like, I'm a Cylon is mm -hmm. the way I took that for Ellen. Mm -hmm. Just because we've seen similar reactions to like Cylons who were always Cylons and knew they were Cylons. Like they, they also sort of freak out mm -hmm. when they first, are resurrected. So that's, I guess I just kind of took that the same way, like that it had more to do with like, I'm dead. Sure. <laughs> you know, and this is like some kind of weird afterlife thing maybe or whatever. I don't know. I, I don't have a strong argument for that. That's just the way I took it. So sure. um, maybe it is though. Maybe that is sort of the implication is that like, there's a realization of her, Cylonness, all as in addition to whatever reaction to actually dying uh, is right there. and it's more just my impression the way I took it the when I first kind of saw it I think it's more like even though we've seen that reaction hers seemed a bit more extreme and then even more so the the contrast between the extremity of her disturbance with then the, the, the calm that comes over her and like this kind of like very sudden kind of switch between the two, um, just always struck me as different than anybody else. Um, who sure. seemed, but like, who seemed more like bothered by the process of dying, but it was a, like a physical thing that took a little longer to sort of wear off and everything where she just kind of gets this, this calm that, comes over her like you said but but yeah i mean i don't think it you know it, it there's no one way or the other to really say for sure sure um 
So, yeah, I mean, I don't, so we can go through some of the Cavill conversation um, and whatever. I mean, I think from a, from a sort of high level, like, so one, like, apparently Cavill was, like, made in the image of Ellen's father. Um, so much uh, edible complexing between uh, Cavill and Ellen. <laughs> yeah. Like, because the, the other part, which they, like, don't go into too much, but, like, I, so I think it's easy to forget, is that she, this is going straight after New Caprica, right? Where she's been, like, you know... Doing, yeah. doing, uh, doing him some favors to pull yeah. some strings about Ty, like behind the scenes, um, which they make an allusion to with uh, the Seinfeld reference, right? She says something to Boomer about, has he taught you the swirl yet? Um, yep. And so then to go where he's like, like Was Cylons she... like to do, he's using her as this like sex slave pet thing Cylons have a thing about that um sure and going straight from that into this you know situation where he has her kind of you know very Leoben and Kara like separated off in her own little prison cell um and he not only has like the the sexual issues with her but like you know parental issues like all of his resentment towards his mean mother comes out here too so like that's you know yeah. you realize the the very disturbing and complicated layers of what exactly his deal is yeah yeah and i'll admit i didn't remember the first time watching this about the whole favors aspect of it and mm. it was like second time through it's like oh yeah oh yeah oh, <laughs> right. right uh very which like at least in her defense i guess but i mean like not that we haven't seen ellen be promiscuous or whatever anyway like mm -hmm. that's you know certainly heavily implied that yeah. she uh yeah was ready to bed um whenever and whoever for you know what whenever she felt like it. and that's just who she was but um that he i mean assuming that like this is actually the same cavil mm which I think we can assume, like it se certainly seems enough. Like there's a preponderance of evidence to suggest that it is. Mm -hmm. I would say, um, and and so like, yeah, like it definitely is like a weird. But then again, like on the other hand, it's like well, but they're not human. So even even as like he's like having these sort of like, you know this hatred and stuff like there's also a sense where like as not humans like they don't necessarily have the same sexual uh mores and uh 
hangups or whatever you want to call taboos um, mm-hmm. that humans do. So, you know, yeah, is but that I think you still get a sense that Cavill is, um, I don't know what adjective to use. Like my impression from Ellen is that personal flaws aside and who knows what kind of person she was as, you know, a Cylon living on earth and all that kind of thing. I don't know if she was the same kind of, you know, promiscuous free spirit that she was as Ty's wife, you know, in the colonies. But my general sense is that she, her intention was to give her Cylon children human attributes including Mm -hmm. a basic sense of morality i would think um you know like and yes i i don't think it's like i think what cavill does with her is supposed to be seen as sure pretty monstrous um like because the fact that he knows she's she's who she i mean it's pretty it would have been pretty monstrous anyway if if she was just some random human woman um but he doesn't even do that ignorantly he does it knowing who she is and the significance of that yeah um and it adds a lot more weight to some of the stuff on new caprica like torturing ty and you know subjecting ellen to all this stuff that like he's deliberately taking those his anger out on them um, in very intentional ways. Right. Yeah. And she kind of mentions that, right? Like, uh, I don't, I don't know if I actually wrote this particular part down, but like where she's talking about, like, not only did he like allow certain things to happen, but that he kind of orchestrated things, you know, and she's like, what? So that like, when we were resurrected, like we would come around to see your way of thinking. Like, like, was this your plan? Like all along to like treat us in this terrible way. And then like, we would see how bad humanity is and like, not, you know, like do something about it. Like, Mm -hmm. like what exactly is, was your goal in like all of these different ways of like torturing and, treating people poorly Mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah um all right so like a lot of a lot of the conversation is kind of in that vein though of like cavill like i hate being like a human um i almost said i hate being human but like he's not really right like it's the it's that he his problem is that he's a machine trapped in a human's body, mm. right? Like, and he talks about like, you know, how sleep is unproductive, and so he, you know, deleted that particular subroutine, um, and like, uh, you know, um, Ellen calls him out on like, you know, if you don't believe in sleep and like believing in god and whatever then why are you like so focused on like murder and vengeance and he's like well it's not those things it's justice but like is that less of an abstract 
concept like right. than the other stuff that she's like blaming him for not really like right, right. like he doesn't i don't know if he's being like sarcastic in that moment or not like maybe there's a sense of irony in what he's saying but like if it is it's almost a double irony because like even like in being ironic then he's like kind of admitting that he's going like that's that he's not wholly like attuned to the machine way of doing things that he kind of wants to believe he is um right well and even with the you know with the sleeping oh that's unproductive and and uh i you know i deleted that the need for that well the reason she asks about the sleeping is she says do you still have nightmares and my impression is like that's why he got rid of the sleep is less about the the perfect idealist idea of what a machine should be, but like he got he didn't want those nightmares anymore, and kind of realized, oh, I have a solution for this. I'll delete that. And yeah. he says, I stopped which, sleeping about twenty years ago, which is like, yes, it sounds like a good productive machine thing to do, but what are the very human impulses that lie at the yeah. root of that? And 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 it denies the fact that like he's still biological. And like right. biological things need sleep of some type type. So like maybe he was able to figure out how to like stop needing that. But like when you, you know, like people who don't sleep, uh, like that's a medical condition. Like insomnia is a medical issue and mm -hmm. like sleep deprivation is a problem. And like, is this like, is really like the root of it that he just doesn't get enough sleep? Like is, would he just be a much happier and more well-adjusted person if he just got more sleep? Right. Maybe. Right. Like, who knows? Um, but yeah, no, I like the nightmares thing is a good point. Like I, yeah, like I could, you could totally say I'm like, okay, well, how do I not have nightmares? Oh, just don't sleep. So I won't sleep out ever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Haven't slept in 20 years. Take care of the nightmares real good. You know? Yeah. Um, um, and that's kind of what she's getting out of like, for all your denial of your humanity, your impulses are the most petty and human of all that it's all right. Jealousy and rage and pain and all the things that are most flawed and most human he's more motivated by those things than anybody yeah um and then so the other thing that's interesting to me is like so he goes on to talk about like the supernova and he's like you know i saw star explode and send out the building blocks of the universe other stars other planets and eventually other life um creation itself and then he talks about like you know how he saw it with his ridiculous gelatinous orbs right like and that he wasn't able to you know hear x-rays and smell dark matter and like all this stuff and it's like okay like on the one hand yeah like i like i get that like i mean humans build all these tools you know to like try to detect the different ends of the electromagnetic spectrum and you know all of these other things but like he's kind of talking poetically about all of that mm -hmm. stuff too like like if he were a machine would he be able to appreciate any of that right like 
can the centurions like detect all that thing all that stuff but like can can they like do like the appreciative thing of like this is a moment of creation because again that's a very high level mm-hmm. concept of like all of this you know explosion will eventually coalesce into like a new planet and stars and like give birth to life like right okay like maybe you know you would know that like on a sort of logical factual level but like is there something about being human that is like driving that desire to like experience these other things and if you were able to experience those other things would the loss of humanity and being able to do that give you the same sort of appreciation for right all of those new ways that you're experiencing them. Right. So it's kind of a catch-22. Yeah, Yeah, right. Right, right. The thing that would enable you to appreciate that higher level, you wouldn't be able to appreciate. Um, Right. And he can't help but use, like, anthropomorphic language of, I want to see gamma rays, I want to hear x-rays, I want to smell dark matter. Like, well, how are you supposed to do that without a body? Um, well, and, and and then he talks about like how even like the language is in in uh, adequate to express what he's trying to say, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, it's just like that's the you know all of his sort of it's all variations on a the theme for him of of. He hates being human and, you know, uh, like, well, I mean, the very, uh, again, back to the um, scared and petulant child, right? Like the uh, confused, sorry, confused and petulant little boy um, that, that Ellen calls him. And like that thing of like, you know, you're not even my real mom, like almost like, yeah. <laughs> aspect to it um yeah so yeah i I mean i don't know if there's anything to add to that just kind of point like that that's his that's his running theme is that he's just he's annoyed he's annoyed at being human right and And, it's not an exact parallel to but there's something of like the c.s lewis um like i didn't believe in god but i was really angry at god for not existing kind of thing about it too of like his very rage at ellen kind of contradicts the the expressed belief that he isn't human and isn't capable of these kinds of human emotions Mm. like in in his expression of his frustration with her he ends up proving all the things she's saying that we made you to to be human and to be able to experience these things um Uh, I guess the other side of the coin is Boomer. Hmm. Um, Yay, Boomer. I feel like we haven't seen Boomer in a while, so it's nice to to have her as a player and not just being creepy pet to to Cavill. Yeah, I mean, she's still kind of that, though. Um, Until the very end. Sure. So... I mean, I, I didn't write a ton down for Boomer and Ellen. I guess I, like, 
it, she's kind of like counterpoint, right, to like Cavill. It's more like, okay, she says like, Cavill's teaching me to like embrace my inner machine kind of thing, right? But like, you get the sense that like, she's not too sure about it, like, mm-hmm. and that she's just kind of like, I guess, living with the consequences of her various decisions um, in a way. Um, yeah, and, and yeah. I, I feel Sorry. like the fact that Boomer is trying to buy into this thing that Cavill's saying, in a way, kind of proves all the stuff about how human and petty he is. Because, like, Boomer's the other one who, she wants to be a machine because she's the most, she's been through the most suffering about, you know, the loss of her humanity. Like, you know, she's the other one, like, like Cavill, that her her desire to be a pure machine is born from the pain of, you know, all that she's been through. Um, and it's kind of like, well, you know she would rather have just been a happy human the whole time. So if she can't have that, she has to go the other direction. Like, you know, go so far the other way where well, I never wanted to be one of them in the first place and I never could have been. And then that doesn't, then it doesn't become about her own failings. It becomes about her true nature and embracing her machine self and not the fact that she made mistakes or was a traitor or all the other things that it might mean that she is. Sure. And coming from Ellen, who was like all of those things at one point or another, sure, like is is interesting as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, I don't have anything to add to that per se, other than that, like, yeah, like you said, like, so Cavill. So the like from a plot perspective, Cavill wants Ellen to redevelop the resurrection technology, which. You know, independently, we're le- we learned from Sam, you know, like she, that she was the one who had the breakthrough, right? Um, which is interesting. So, like, because she says, like, "Well, I can't do it on my own. I would need the others to help." But, like, is that true? Mm-hmm. Like, maybe it's true. Like, maybe they did have other things. But, like, she's also the key. Like, she it's, it sounds like from Sam's perspective, anyway that she's like the most important key. So it's like, mm-hmm. like maybe they could figure out what the others did, like from like a technical perspective or whatever. Maybe, maybe those are the parts they could figure out, but it's really her knowledge is, is sort of the key knowledge that makes it all possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like you said, like Boomer at the end actually saves her and they go, into a raptor and mm-hmm. they they escape. Um, right, which brings her story kind of up to the present moment with, uh, you know. Right, it, right, because these are all the, like, right, there's, like, time jumps in between, like, each of the various conversations. So, like, presumably, she's just, what, I think the oldest one is 18 months or something like that? Like... The first yeah, flashback, how how yeah. far back was it? Like, it was, it was back to New Caprica. Right, whenever New Caprica so, was, yeah. So a while ago, and, like, presumably has just been 
by herself, like, all this time with, like, the occasional visits from Cavill and Boomer. And, right, right. You know, getting food or whatever, but, um, which is probably, like, either one of them or, like, a centurion is, mm-hmm. like, bringing the food or whatever. So, like, presumably none of the other Cylons on the base star even knew she was there at that point. Right, yes. No, I think that's, I think that's the case, yeah. Um, and now she's not there anymore, so they still don't know. Um, yeah. All right. So that's where they are. So, so we've got like Boomer and Ellen, you know, jumping away. Um, we've got Sam coming out of surgery and like, not only is he no longer remembering things, he like has no brain function at all. No, and that's a real kicker at the end when Starbucks like, oh, so so like they're starting to reconcile and she's apologizing and you know they're gonna make up and it's all gonna be okay and then Ishay's like, yeah, don't bother. <laughs> Great bedside manner. She's don't bother. He can't hear you. He's not in there. Um, yeah, kind of a. You know, because you're kind of prepared for the fact that he was going to lose his memories. Like, you know, that's the whole, like, no, don't do it. Like, of course, you know he's going to lose access to those memories. But I think that tricks you into not thinking that the surgery could go wrong. You know, Mm -hmm. that there could be more serious damage, not just to, like, his silent memories, but the actual, like, personality of Sam that we know. Right. Right. And and an interesting twist on the episode, too, because up to this point, like, you know, you you think that like one of the final five is dead, Ellen, Mm -hmm. and we find like she comes back. But then like it's sort of balanced, I guess, by the Mm -hmm. loss of another of the final five, like. Mm -hmm no brain activity basically brain dead Mm -hmm. right like yeah or at least like vegetative state like um for sam so so there is that it's sort of like that bittersweet of like oh we actually do have all five but then like well no we kind of don't not anymore right right um so kind of an interesting like swap or or mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it there too mm-hmm. um yeah uh and then of course you've got um adama giving in and letting tyrol infest the ship with cylon biological patching joint compound or something mm-hmm. um so yeah lots of lots of fun um but we should move on we should we're only we're only about a half hour um well i think there's a lot to this episode of angel but also i think we kind of agreed that it's very angel specific the character um so um you know it's it's pretty focused actually um yeah so yeah i i want to start with like the situation of of the the frame story and the plan and what they want to do before we get into the kind of sneak vision quest second half of it. 
Um, but (laughs) the sneak attack from the writers, but, um, starting out with what actually happens in this episode, um, the situation, you know, just very generally being that the sun has become blotted as we saw in the last episode. Um, it's only dark over LA. It's a localized abnormality as the news report says but you get the impression that this could spread that like eventually this would infect right the whole planet or eventually the whole universe if it were allowed to go on long enough and i mean we get that explanation from manny in the last episode right right and we get guns we don't really venture outside of the hotel really um in this episode but we get guns worries about not really anyway um Right, right, right. Guns, guns, fears about. Well, as soon as the vamps realize this town's open for business, there's going to be a huge rise in undead tourism. So the threat being that the longer that the sun stays dark, the more of the beasties are going to be coming out of the woodwork, and they're going to have their hands full, just keeping them in check. Let alone actually reversing this whole process to begin with. Um. So we don't quite get into the consequences yet, but they're at least aware of where this could be going, um, which is why they need to reverse it as soon as possible, um, which leads to this question of do they get in contact with Angelus, um, which was Wesley's kind of you know, suggestion in the last episode. And I wanted to kind of go through each of their opinions on that um Mm -hmm. wesley obviously since it was his suggestion is all for this plan um and and like more than just a suggestion he just like disappears and like finds someone like (laughs) enacting this plan with no you know approval from anybody else you know the road warrior took off without a word so he just like leaves with no explanation goes and gets this ninja shaman guy Wu Wu Pang or Wu Wu Pang um Wu Pang yeah not Wu Tang not Wu Tang um, um not to be confused yeah. with um who uh can well we can go into the details but basically he can he knows how to extract a soul and then replace it which is the and key. then restore it yeah yes restore it which is the key part that's the hard part um they know how to lose the soul, just not how to get it back. Um, right, right. The delicate part is like keeping it around and being able to put it back in. Right. Before Angel escapes or kills everybody or, you know, yeah. and, further and bad that, things yeah, happen. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so, yeah, from Wesley's point of view, this is the obvious plan. This is the only plan. Uh, there is no plan B. He is out there making the plan happen. And that's, you know, all of his time as this lone wolf that he's had um, is now, like, you know, not the first time, obviously, but, like, showing the, the fruit of that, that when needed, he will just sort of enact his own plans and go off on his own and is willing to work with the group, but isn't necessarily feeling like he owes them a lot of explanations at this point. Um, 
Angel is understandably, I think, not so crazy about this plan. Um, you know, I mean, sure, he's being, uh, I don't know. I don't know if this is, maybe there's more nuance to this than I take it. His line about, even if I wanted it, there's no way to bring Angelus back. And it's like, well, Angel, <laughs> like, there's always a way to bring him back. Um, I think his, his fears, again, are more about the, the second half of the plan. How do we, how do we get Angelus to go away again? Um, and, and yeah. having, having been, you know, gone through that a couple times, realizing that that is a lot more complicated and difficult than it sounds. It's not just a matter of, you know, popping the soul out and popping it back in again, that th these things always get way more dangerous than they seem to be. I So I don't know that I'm quite as like, I think Angelus is being earnest when he says there's no way to do it because in order to do it, he needs to be perfectly happy. And there's like, I don't think he foresees himself ever being perfectly happy. Certainly not in the current state of things like, like all included, like, mm -hmm. like even if we want Angelus now, there's like literally an apocalypse the woman he ostensibly loves, like, just slept with his son. And, like, there's just strife and general, you know, problems going on with, like, literally everyone in his little group. So mm -hmm. I th I don't know that I would sort of dismiss that quite as much. Like, I, I think we could take him at face value of, like, there's no way I could ever be perfectly happy in this. Mm -hmm current state of affairs and if that's the requirement for bringing angelus back then it's just not gonna happen sure um so you know i mean that doesn't necessarily discount like what you said that he's maybe more worried about the second half of it like that could also be true but i i would just sort of like say like i don't necessarily think that he's being disingenuous when he says there's no way to bring Angelus back. Sure, or, and maybe bring, I was maybe yeah. I was jumping ahead to the conclusion that there are other ways. That like maybe that's the only way for him to naturally lose his soul, but that there are Sure. There are rituals and other means you can use to sort of trigger the event. Um which now I can't remember for sure if we knew that or if I just kind of made that jump myself without realizing it um yeah i don't i don't remember exactly where he says that so maybe maybe if this is like after wesley has come back and explained like oh there's this guy who can like take your soul out and then put it back in like real mm -hmm. quick um you know a little like just right. gonna take your muffler off to reach this other part and then put your muffler back on like you know right, right. <laughs> kind of easy as pie yeah yeah um, no, and you're right. Maybe it is earlier than that, where he's thinking true happiness is the only possible way that that this is going to happen. That does make more sense. So, anyway, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's definitely a there. There's definitely like a line drawn mm -hmm. as far as like who 
thinks it's a good idea and who doesn't. Between pretty much Cordy and Angel on one side and like everyone else. Everyone else. Um, um, and it and it comes down to exactly what they say to people is you've never met Angelus. Uh, I think so. Angel says that sure. like explicitly to Wesley, like you never had the pleasure. You only had like the books and what you've read. Right. And Gun's like, well, maybe it's time to meet Angelus. And Cordy's like, you don't. You've never been around. Like this is not something you mess around with. Mm-hmm. Um, right. And I, like maybe like Fred and Lauren are a little more. On the ambivalent yeah, yeah. about it but like like they like they're certainly not like the hard line no that angel and cordy both are mm-hmm. um right they're kind of like well yeah we're scared of angelus but if this is the only way to reverse the sun then like maybe we have to at least think about it um right. i feel like connor doesn't necessarily give an opinion about how good the plan is it's more about his anger towards his father and and the you know that is a funny exchange of uh if anything goes wrong with angelus you'll have to kill me okay okay (laughs) if anything goes wrong i got it like not a problem you know like now is that as easy as all that maybe not but like if it's angelus you know he's at least willing to entertain the idea of like angelus would have to be stopped like angelus is the thing that he was raised to hate it's the thing that he thought angel was the whole time um so he may have very ambivalent feelings about angel nowadays but not so much about angelus um you know in his evil vampire state so he doesn't really need to be told twice that he would have to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so like, I think the interesting thing then about all of that is that it's not one of the people on the, you know, pro Angelus side that ultimately convinces Angel. It's Cordy. Mm. Um, sort of unintentionally, right? Like it's that conversation where they're, um out in like the courtyard or whatever and like she's like why is it that like evil always brings out like the higher iq and like stuff like like it's like that whole thing of like angelus is smarter than you and like he'll be the one who can like help us figure out what's Mm -hmm. going on and it's like we don't get it explicitly because like angel just kind of runs back inside is like all right fine let's do this and Mm -hmm. but like that seems to be like what it is that ultimately convinces him that like there's a certain like his willingness to be like the good champion not willingness but like drive like the the goodness of his championness Mm -hmm. is like actively blocking some avenue that they could potentially take right this is like the equivalent of so um not canon star wars but like back i want to say like earlier mid 90s there was a run of dark horse comics in star wars where like luke goes to the dark side to like figure out you know something i don't even remember the whole story but um 
you know, like it's this whole thing about Luke going to the dark side so that he can, you know, face whatever post empire threat they're facing and, you know, goes through and then comes back. Like this is, this is the angel side of version mm-hmm. of that, right? Like, okay. Like there's some reason why my being a champion for the good is you know making me incapable of defeating the beast and so Mm -hmm. in order to in order to do the good thing i have to become evil um yeah which like as like a high level trope like i feel like we see that sort of thing happen in lots of shows and stuff like oh i have to i have to explore my dark side to you know right achieve this good thing that i want um Mm -hmm. But, uh, seem, you know, it's a little more, like, maybe on the nose here. <laughs> sure. Um, with regard to that. Well, and I think what, um, you know, let's get into the kind of vision questy uh, side of things. Because I think what stops that from being a total cliche is the way that you're presented with you know, Angelus coming about in the first place and the fact that it is a fake out really and only on the second or more viewing do you understand the full significance and that really the whole episode is playing with those cliches and kind of Hmm. subverting them. Um, You know, it presents you with what you think is a true story that does ring... um, if not completely hollow, at least too easy in a lot of ways. Um, and in the end, it's like, well, that's because it is, um, you know, and you don't realize that until you you go back through. So I want to like, I kind of want to go through Angel's vision quest, but with the knowledge of what it ends up being yeah. that, that this is so the frame being that they they do have this shaman. Wopang, Wopang, whatever his name is, uh, who is going to do this ritual to extract the soul. Um, but things seem to split off where at first you think he turns out to be this assassin of the beast who's there to mm-hmm. kill angels. So the whole thing gets, you know, is a non-starter because he was never really there to do that in the first place. And then things kind of roll along and develop from there. And then we go back at and, the end and and I like even how like Angel like throws shade at like Wesley like there's this sword like we, we there was a much easier option than what we were about to do like yeah <laughs> right and the kind of thing of like you were gonna lose my soul like yeah. there's like which how how cavalier you are with my soul that like when we there are much better options out there you know which is totally like both of those things are sort of the weed and twist right like right like those are the things we've sort of come to expect with a show like this that like oh yes of course there's like a much different option available and of course the evil guy that you got and was going to help you like turns against you and was gonna right, right. like kill angel and stuff right um which all turns out to be a complete fabrication that this is all a a scenario constructed to give Angel complete happiness um, yeah. so that they can extract the soul. Um, 
And so it, it is impressive the way that the whole story from then conforms to this kind of mission to make Angel happy. <laughs> like, you know, everything is like mm. from the singular purpose of like, just let everything go his way. Um, you would, yeah. you kind of and realize like this is all a little role playing scenario in order to trick him into that. Um, right. which is a kind of clever idea. And I was waiting for a twist. I just didn't know where or how, like I was, well, I was pretty sure the first time when, when Angel catches him from chopping off his head and then they're like opening up the cage and they're all fighting him. I was thinking like, no, like what if the ritual worked? Like I was pretty sure on the first watch through that Angel had turned into Angelus. He just was pretending not to be Angelus. Um, which I feel like isn't quite the twist, but it's almost the twist. Like I was waiting for that <laughs> shoe to drop. I just didn't know how. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the fear being that they think it's Angel, but now they've got the cage open and they don't realize that it's Angelus among them the whole time. Um, yeah. Anyway. Well, yeah, because I wanted to ask you, like, what, if any inkling, did you have that it was not, you know, that there that there was something sort of wrong with, like, the whole quest stuff? And mm -hmm. then, like, like where did you have those? But I, I, maybe it's hard to go back to, like, your first viewing at this point. Yeah, so. I mean, mostly it was that, that initial moment of, oh, what if the ritual worked, but now they've got the cage open? Um, and don't realize it. And then very much at the end, um, first thinking again that he already was Angelus and just was pretending not to be that when he uh, he and Cordy are getting intimate that I was kind of waiting for him to reveal. Because I know you, what you said about Cordy, this is maybe her last season. So I was like getting a little nervous there that he was going to like pull a jenny calendar on her or something mm. um hmm. and and then i thought oh well they're now they're going to sleep together this is when angelus is going to come back like i was sure he was going to come back i just kept waiting for him to reveal himself um but yeah but it's not really till the second viewing that i noticed the more subtle things that are wrong with all this um which you know include like the, the very easy alternative solution of, oh, there's a sword and it can kill the beast if you stab it. Oh, where is it? Oh, well, it's accessible by, you know, from, a, from our very own sewers. And it's, you know, there's a hundred points around the earth where you can find this one sword that kills the beast. And, oh, Angel reaches into the ball of, swirling light like king arthur and just kind of magically grabs the sword like the champion he is um all of those things a little bit on the first viewing and then way more noticeably on the second viewing just give you an impression of the the wrongness of everything and how this isn't this is just too easy um but i don't know even more than that maybe it's like the character stuff um which like 
tropes and cliches of the hero narrative aside, I think the more telling stuff is the way that the characters, again, suddenly all say the things that Angel wants to hear. Sure. Um, they sort of, and, and it's it's subtle too, because like... It is. It's things that Wesley apologizes. Oh, I've yes. never heard you apologize before. Um, yeah. Like, like yeah. for anything. Like not yeah. even just like to me or like whatever. Right. It's like... You've literally never apologized for. I mean, right. I don't know if that's a, an, exactly true. We can go back through like right. Wesley's dialogue and see if he's ever said "I'm sorry" before. But like, it seems true at least in the moment. It's like, oh yeah, I don't think I ever have. And it's like, okay, but then you're like, well, maybe he's just like, like they're just becoming friends again. You know what I mean? Like, right? It like, seduces like, you like, into like, oh, this is the reconciliation is starting, and and, yeah. and even even like last week, you pointed out like Wesley's kind of part of the team again. Mm-hmm. Like, like there's no question about his being there. Yeah, like guns sort of like sniping at him and stuff, but like there's no question about his being there and helping out. It's just like all hands are on deck, and. Like, Wesley's here. He's part of the team. Like, maybe not officially welcomed back. And, like, maybe he's still got, like, his own crew or whatever. But but there's, like, things changing. And so, like, this just seems like the next level to that. It's like, okay, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was arrogant. I, you know, thought this was going to work. And it didn't. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like, yeah. But, like, it is a very subtle kind of, like, wait a minute. That doesn't. Like when you go back through, you're like, yeah, that, that doesn't, doesn't sound that didn't like Wesley. Sit yeah. Right. Like. Yeah. But the first time through, you're just like, oh, okay, like. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, and there's a there's a few little moments like that. Um. You know. Uh, more so, I mean, Wesley's the other big one, but but especially with Cordy and Connor. Um. You know, of, of Cordy making it more clear than she loses her conflict in like magically in this episode of, you know, it's not that it's not that she never felt attraction or feelings for Angel, but she has also felt them for Connor. Whereas for here, she becomes much more, um, I don't know, focused on the Connor stuff becomes less about her own conflict and more just a mistake. Like, yeah. you know, it shifts over into, I may, I have some really rotten decisions I'd love to take back. And, um, and that Connor just, he, he doesn't really understand things. And, and I kind of feel bad that it was all like a misunderstanding and everything. And, and it was, you know, a, a stupid choice and, I never really was that into him. And if I could undo it, I would. And it's, you know, it's that kind of sure feeling of wanting it not to have ever happened. And that it really meant nothing to her all along. The, the interesting thing to me with that is like how it parallels Angel's history as Angelus. Because one of the things that like, in the context of this being his like vision and whatever is like, it also seems to be like one of his fears that like Cordy as a higher power saw everything that he did mm. as Angelus. And so knows all of his secrets and worst parts of his history. 
and it's like she's like but i don't care about that i know who you are and like you know right. it's okay like you know whatever is in your past and then he's like well yes i'm okay with whatever is in your past too like implying that like a misguided one night stand is equivalent to like murdering Right. hundreds or thousands of people right. all throughout Europe. Like, right. we've, all, we've, we've each, each of us have seen the worst yeah. in each other and, and, yeah, let's, and we let's, love each other anyway. Yeah. Let, let's not mince words. Like yeah. we, you did some things. I did some things right. like, right. like, like the, but like, that's clearly not like equivalent. Right. I mean, yeah. Looking at it from an objective standpoint, but like, you know, for, how like in angels sort of like fantasy world which is what this is right mm -hmm. like those those are like equivalent things like he he feel or i mean maybe equivalent's not the right word but like he feels as bad about like cordy's you know actions there as like he imagines she must feel about his bad actions right um now they're completely different situations obviously like and and not just like in like level of you know uh i don't even know what the right word is to say here but like you know the the amount to which like one person offended the other like right. again like cordy who at that point is not like attached to angel in any romantic way or like whatever like Mm -hmm. had no obligation to him or whatever like clearly there's nothing there and uh you know versus like angel but like also like it's angelus it's angel without a soul so it's not even like really him and mm -hmm. like i think cordy obviously realizes that that it's not like angel and yes like the vampire might retain like parts of the personality of the person that you know was there before but like again it's still it's still angelus without a soul not angel mm -hmm. with a soul and so there's there's a big difference there um right so anyway just just like the weird sort of like parallel that he seems to be drawing in his mind of that where right. there isn't where the, in reality they're just entirely different situations and entirely different uh intensities of like violation or you mm -hmm. know uh offense given <laughs> right right <coughs> right right and that and that she loves him for all the good that he's done despite all the the bad that he's done and she's kind of he's projecting onto her the things that she that he wishes that she would say um so right. they kind of end up confirmed as a as a as a couple in this episode you know that it's this they have their declarations of sure undying love and affection um and well it yeah, yeah and there's you know a consummation that never occurred previously right. um Right. And even with like, Connor's blessing, <laughs> which is funny, like, you know, kind of, oh, she's too old for me anyway. Like, right. Uh -huh. Right. Like, yes. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the amount, like the, the quickness with which like 
Connor does just get over it, which which Angel tells him. Yeah. He needs to do, right? Um t- right. tells him in real life. Yeah. That that's what he needs to do. And then like he does it. Yeah. <laughs> like he's like it's like he kind of gets pissed and storms off, but then right. comes back and fights the beast and he's right. like and saves cool his with father that. after all his like yeah. I'll I'll no problem killing you when you're angelus. He like comes to the rescue. Like, you know, really he loves his dad you know right deep down right. and 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 then gives when him push his, comes to shove and then shows his you know his loyalty by saying you are the rightful you know champion yeah. for cordy um yeah um and so the other thing i want to point out there too just like so there's the whole battle of the beast and um and you expect, like, you know, again, like, they're sort of toying with the, like, the Whedon-esque twist, but then, like, it all, it there's sort of, like, a more traditional, like, fairy tale happy ending where, like, yes, the beast comes and breaks the sword, but, like, they still stab it anyway and, mm-hmm. you know, win. But then, like, even with, like, like, all of the teams inner fighting like just disappears completely right he like gives you, this big speech about uh, yeah they're, they're um <laughs> like this huge like series defining speech in a way of what it all means and it's about yeah. um you know we've again putting all of their transgressions on a level playing field we've mm-hmm. done things that we're sure can never be forgiven but we're always here for each other when it counts um yeah. and never you, let the darkness win no no like like not literally as, and metaphorically like. right not just as friends or lovers but as champions all of us together we're stronger together so yeah mm-hmm. like this he gives his big like victory um yeah. hero and, speech at the end and you get like wesley and gunn like happily like congratulating each other and um yeah there's like no more tension and you know whatever between them and yeah yeah um and and i think that's like it's funny but i think that's also important because i mean again you can get into like oh moment of pure bliss means like orgasm right like but that's not like I don't think it's just that. Like right, I no, mean, it's it's all of this. It's all of his relationships. It's not right. just consummating physically with Cordy, but it's this set, this feeling of unity between the team. And yes, um, yeah, right. And that's that's a good point. Like he could have just like had sex if he wanted to bring Angelus back, but that's not enough. It's this. The shaman has to create this scenario in which all of his wildest hopes can suddenly come true at once. Um, there can't be any weak link, you know, like, right. right. Even, if they, these... even if they tried to make him happy, you could see like, well, the fact that Wesley isn't in perfect harmony with the group screws that up. Like everything has to go right. Um, yeah. About the once. only, about the only thing they didn't add was like, Buffy coming in and like giving her blessing over like Angel and Cordy. <laughs> right. <laughs> like that right. would be like the one other thing they maybe could Right. Have done Although I could see it. that creating feeling of feelings of conflict. 
like that would spoil the purity of like he doesn't want to think about any anybody else other than the rightness of sure. him and Corey, you know. Sure. No, I I'm saying like in the vision of like like getting a call from Puffy and like, hey, I'm I'm happy for you kids, like that right. you got together, like even even though it never worked out with us. Like Yeah. <laughs> um maybe that was just like one too many like over the top things. Then he would start to get suspicious. Right. Like, right, like maybe that's the thing that would have broken the illusion that right. could lead him right. eventually. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, no, I mean, all of that. And so you get you get him, you know, rolling over and like... Creepy, creepy the, the, the over, um, yeah, the overdub of, you know, the and the vision becomes reality, mm -hmm. right? And realizing that we're way back at the beginning or, you know, whatever, like after, like, like the beginning of the second act, right. Where mm -hmm. you have Wu Pang, you know, doing his thing and it actually worked. It, it was mm -hmm. all a ruse to get him, uh, to be perfectly happy. And, and that's where his soul, uh, escapes. Um, and well, or like gets captured in the bottle. Like there's like the sort of like, flickering you know mm -hmm. luminescent bottle there so presumably that's the soul mm -hmm. um and yeah angel that that laugh Ooh. you yeah um right yeah david Boreanaz, man he's a good actor <laughs> like just being able to like turn on that like mm -hmm. completely like creepy uh i don't guffaw i don't know like uh, Cackle, cackle. Yeah, maybe that's a better. It starts out as like a as like something quieter, but it grows, you know, into it, from a, from a something. titter into a cackle. Right, I guess. Right. Um, right. Yeah. No, it's uh, very it's very creepy, and especially like looking straight at Cordy. You know, like you know there oh, is yeah. there is some of the stuff in which i guess is angel's vision it's him projecting onto cordy but her fear of oh i can't lose you just when we're figuring things out like right at the moment we're starting to realize our feelings and and appreciate that and act on it is when things are going to go bad and you get that sense with cordy at the end of you know things are not great with her and angel but like it, they're they're a lot worse now that it's Angelus. Like any chance they might have had at starting to understand and reconcile and forgive has to be put on hold and potentially is permanently in danger if if they can't get Angel's soul back in. Um, mm. Like if this goes wrong, that's potentially the last that Angel and Cordy ever spoke to each other. Um, which is a kind of scary possibility. Sure. Um, yeah, we don't like, we don't have a sense of how long this was for the rest of them. Like, was this a few minutes? Like they weren't, uh, like they, they didn't see and participate in the vision. Right. Is it like a dream where like you do, you know, every, it only takes like a couple seconds to dream like, 
hours worth right. of activity or something. Right. Yeah, like we don't we don't know really. Um So yeah, like that would be really that like adds another creep layer to it, right? Of just like mm-hmm. he's angel one minute and then like suddenly he's like turning and looking at you and just cackling mm-hmm. uh at you. Um Yeah. Yeah. So did you because, like, there was talk of, like, Angelus in the previous episode. hmm Did you predict that this was coming? I mean, after the last episode, I felt like it had to. Like, if you bring up Angelus, like, they and not just bring him up, like, allude to him, but the possibility that they could bring him back, it's like, yeah, he's coming back. Yeah. Um, I wasn't quite sure exactly how soon, um... And definitely sure. I was expecting it earlier in the episode. Like I was waiting for those, I was waiting for him to turn halfway through and reveal, oh, I've been Angelus the whole time and, you know, all this stuff. So I didn't quite get the the mm. the method correct. But, um, but yeah, it was just a matter of when, I think. Okay. Um, but not necessarily ahead of the previous episode. Um like, I wasn't expecting Angelus to turn up all season or anything. Right. But I guess it's been a while. So, you know, other than in flashback, um, it's been a really long while since Angelus was running around well, causing destruction. So it's, they were due, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. Um Right. I'm flashbacks not included. I the second season of Buffy. Right. Is, right. That's the is, only time. Is right? the only time that we've seen Angelus as Angelus. And even in a lot of the flashbacks, like it's Angel, right? Because like there's flashbacks to like when he's Angel but like still with Darla. Right? Sure. So like even some of those are like not truly Angelus. It's just Angel mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to deal with his new soul. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it's been quite a while. So, mm-hmm. um, I mean, and the other thing is like... Well, and never in Angel the series, which feels like a right. an obvious idea. But, like, right. you know... How could you go an entire series of Angel without exploring the Angela side you, of you, things? You really can't. So, um, this, is, this is that time, I guess. Yeah. They and, suddenly realized four seasons in, dope, there's an obvious idea here that, well, you know, and maybe you didn't want to play that card too early. Um, and and maybe the flashbacks in like season one and two, like kind of, excuse me, kind of fulfilled that right. to a degree. And then in season three, it's like the flashbacks are more like with Darla and stuff. And so you still get some Angelus, but it's like, right, you know. Yeah, there's there's more uh, old mythology stuff going on. So mm-hmm. um, now we've kind of explored all of that, and we've got room for like new stuff. Yes, uh, right. We'll see how he's evolved and grown since the last time we saw him. Yeah, well, and so I mean, obviously, we know Angel remembers everything from his Angelus days. And I think we've seen before that Angelus remembers all the angel stuff too. So like, he knows the plan. 
like and i think when you right and well, he knows more you than have that. to presume he knows, that he knows the plan he knows presumably the stuff they want to know about the beast and, and his relationship to it and yeah Right, and so now you've brought Angelus out, but how do you use him? How do you get him to cooperate right. and give you what you need? Right. Um, and he knows all of, like, Angel's deepest desires because he just saw them in this vision. Like, he, mm -hmm. like nobody else at this point knows what that vision was, but he does. And he knows all of the things that Angel wants and doesn't have, which is kind of another layer to it, right? You better not kill Cordy. Um <laughs> okay. I was gonna say that. Um but uh yeah, I mean so yeah, so like I mean that's the hard part is like you can't you can't really hide what you're trying to do from him, I guess is my point. Like Right. Right, because he knows everything they know and more. Right. Um and he's smarter than them, as and, uh, and as right, whole, Cordy so hopefully pointed out. The whole point is that, like, yeah, he's he's really he, something about being evil gives him the higher IQ. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But, you know, we'll have to see. The next episode of Angel is, of course, called Soulless. Mm. Um, but we won't get there because we've got some Buffy to uh, watch before that. So we'll get... Uh, We'll we'll get to that next week though with the Buffy and uh, yeah, uh, like we said before, ramping down to the last uh, five or so episodes of BSG. Um, mm -hmm. I I can't remember if we actually did or did we split out the last uh, parts two and three. I guess we left those as one, right? Well, I mean, maybe maybe we, we could, need to re re. Talk about that. Yeah. We could discuss that. I think parts two and three are done as as a piece in the DVD, but I wouldn't be opposed to necessarily splitting that out since we know we would go along anyway. So, right. Um, it would just be a matter of figuring out where to press pause on the on the Blu-ray. Um, sure. <laughs> but that could be that could be managed. I think. We can figure that out. Well, anyway, I mean, we've got a few weeks to figure it out, and uh, yeah, next week we'll uh, we'll be back to see uh, how all of this Ellen escaping stuff throws uh, a monkey wrench or or whatever into the works. So uh, sounds yeah. good. See you then. <laughs>